Track Quest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr. Joining me today is Dan the Danimal Godfrey. You're not going to find Dan on social media. He's not on the hunting forums. He's just your everyday guy who's a Roosevelt elk slayer. I know Dan's not real comfortable with that, but uh, that's all right. Hey, Dan, uh, how are you doing today? Hey, great, James. Thanks for coming by. So. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're sitting out in uh, Dan's uh, kennel house. Uh, Dan raises walker hounds. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I use these dogs on my job. I'm a government trapper here for Tuse County. Been doing that for 12 years. And anyhow, this is their doghouse. We're in the doghouse. Uh, it's a nice, beautiful day in Fairview, about 80 degrees outside. So uh, we're enjoying it. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm married, been married about 21 years, got uh, three kids. My uh, oldest boy's 17, and they've got a girl 16, and my youngest boy's 15. Um, both boys, they uh, shoot traditional archery as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah I've ra I ran into, uh, I met your sons on uh, one of the 3D courses uh, um, s out there uh, flinging arrows at the targets. Yeah, was that the first time I met you? And you knew more about my bow than I did because you'd been over at Norm's when he was building it. Remember? Yeah, I was in. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I was there when Norm was building your uh, or your latest one-piece recurve. Yeah, and you're like, hey, yeah, and you were telling me all about it. And I'm like, man, how's this guy know about my bow? But yeah, you you and Norm are good friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of a bow junkie. So uh, hey, why don't you tell us uh, how you got your start into traditional archery and may maybe tell us a little bit about your equipment? You said you're shooting a blacktail bow. How long you been shooting blacktail bows for? Well, I uh, I bought my first one back in 1994. It was uh, one of Norm Johnson's backup bows. He had it riding around in the back seat of his truck, and he cut me a good deal on that, knowing that someday I'd probably buy a new one. And yes, I have. Um, you still got the old bow? Yeah, and uh, I've passed that on to my son. Oh, and, I uh, imagine that bow's got a little blood on it, huh? It has some history behind it, uh, and I'm here to tell you when he kills his first elk with that bow. I'm gonna feel like that's it. I can I can pass on now. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to when he does that. So. Oh man, Dan, uh, y if you uh, get your boys caught up to speed, I don't think there's gonna be any uh, elk left for any of us to <laughs> shoot. Jeez. Uh, so, you've been uh, hunting Roosevelt elk uh, pretty much most of your life, uh, uh, one way or another. My dad would take me and my brother both when we were, you know, too young to actually shoot a bow at elk, but. Uh, so we were around it. Um, I can still remember the first time I heard an elk bugle. I was little, and my dad pulled me over to the edge of the landing. Listen, listen, you know, and just being little, always being around it. But uh, I didn't kill my first elk until I was 17. 17. And and how old are you now, Dan? I'm 44 now. 44. And so uh, I, I know you're not much into statistics, but uh, you, you've only gone a couple years without killing an elk. Uh, is that right? Um, yeah, I've had two years that I didn't get my bull. And so you've killed 20-plus bulls of traditional equipment? You know what? I should clarify. I have shot a few cows. Sure, um, yeah. But I am a meat hunter, number one. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that, that meat's pretty important, especially when you're raising three kids. Oh, man, and they eat it up, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's that pressure you were talking about getting that elk. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Well, um, tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, Roosevelt elk hunting here in the coastal uh, brush that, you, that uh, you grew up hunting in. Well, it's certainly a challenge. Always trying to, you know, stay, uh, keep up with the elk. And uh, as they log or as the new hunting pressure rolls in, um, you, you got you to gotta stay on top of it where they're at. And, and, and so 
you, you must spend a lot of time in the woods um, with your job, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the places you're working are the places you get to hunt elk, but you do get to be around elk and um, in, in the areas they live, and so that must uh, have helped uh, further your knowledge in the game. Oh, for sure. You bet. I, I get to see a lot of, for sure, a lot of trophy class bulls that are, they're not elk that I can hunt, of course, but it's sure neat to see them and blow a bugle at them and, you know, watch how they react and what have you. So um, is calling elk uh, part of your strategy, uh, tracking, uh, still hunting? What uh, what what uh, techniques and tactics do you uh, employ when you're uh, out in the elk woods? Well, of course, you're going to – I do it all, of course, but I like to call an elk in. That's my favorite. And, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, me and that bull talking, slipping down in on him and moving in for a, you know, 10-, 12-yard shot is the the best. Yeah, um, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to get some stories going. I know uh, you've taken a couple from point-blank range and, um, you know, close-range archery. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about for me. Uh, I, I love uh, the stories where you, you're in close and you can see the whites of their eyes and you can smell them. And uh, I think that that's what uh, that intimate experience is what makes uh, traditional bow hunting so special. For sure, for sure. So since we're uh, already dived right into the Roosevelt elk hunting, uh, uh, why don't you tell us one of these stories uh, uh, about uh, uh, an elk that you were able to uh, seal a deal on, on a, in close range? Well, let's see here. Um, you had asked me earlier before we started this interview about the one that we talked about on the other side of the bush. Yeah, in the salmonberry bush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah why, don't, why don't you tell us, uh, um, you know, uh, start to finish, like what part of the season are we in? Um, you know, what what what's the behavior of the elk? What's the what's the weather like? Uh, are are you hunting public ground? Are you hunting areas? Uh, I know you don't purchase permits and that you're hunting the same ground that everybody else can hunt. So, you know, kind of walk us through um, how that hunt began, if it, if it started days before that or, or, or whatnot. There was a, a really big bull that had, you know, I don't know, 12 or 15 cows with him. And then there was a smaller satellite bull hanging around. And I had spotted that big bull earlier in the morning and kind of boogered that hunt up and i just kind of watched and, and when you say you boogered up the hunt uh, can you can you uh, give a little detail to that um I, I happened to i called that bull in real close and he just uh it was he came in head on no shot and uh it just cow calls bugles are we are we in the first week of september uh you know paint the picture for us oh this was still early season okay um but it, the reprod was really thick, and there was some grassy bluffs and stuff that little openings, you know. But anyhow, when I got close enough to get a shot at the big bull, it was so close, and he was head on, and there just wasn't no shot. And he just he spooked and took the herd with him. And then I gave him I gave him a few hours off, let him settle down, and then I came at him from a different way for the evening hunt. And uh, like I said, I'm more of a meat hunter than a trophy hunter. I would have loved to have that big bull, but as I'm moving in on the herd, there was a satellite bull hanging around. And did he come in to bugles or cow calls? No, no this isn't going to be one of my calling stories. Okay. This is that well, the bull that you called. You called him in, though, the, the morning before, right, that you boogered it on? That, the same morning of, of this evening hunt that I'm telling you about. Okay. Anyhow. This young bull was on the outside of the herd, and he was feeding on huckleberries. Okay. It wasn't the sandberries, but, yeah, you know, it was huckleberries. 
and I happened to move in on him, and I was in the shadows, and just the way they were feeding and whatnot. Anyhow, that bull was just on the other side of this bush, and at one point, you know, I'm hiding behind my bow, and he's feeding. I'm watching his mouth chewing, and then his eyes almost get bigger, and he kind of looks through the bush at me. So, how close are you at this point? I'm from me to you. I mean, that's oh, so stick your stick your arms out, man, and just three, four feet. Yeah, and. Okay. Uh, Anyhow, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm so close, and I'm not going to get this thing because he's about to blow out of here. And anyways, as he's chewing, his eyes get big, and I'm like, oh, no. There's this long pause in his chewing. I'm frozen. I'm not moving. I'm hiding behind my bow. All of a sudden, he starts chewing again, and he's just got to walk about two feet over to this, over to the side, and I'll have a shot. And my bow's up. I'm hiding behind it. He turns and he walks and it's like shooting a four by eight sheet of plywood. Here is the target. Here's his lungs right there. Wham! I shoot. He just bolts out of there. And like I said, he's on the outs- outskirts of the herd, but everybody's seen him run and they're like, what's that guy doing? I mean, they all looked at him and he just ran and crashed off through the brush and got quiet real quick. And the rest of the herd started feeding again. That big old bull was bugling. So, so the arrow... You're, you shot him from four or five feet. The arrow just comes out of the bill right into the bull. Uh, yeah, just right there. Yeah, con- and point uh, blank range. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but I hit him in the shoulder blade, but I was close enough that it just it drove through. Mm-hmm. I got plenty of penetration. That's the only time I've ever did that, but it smacked through the shoulder blade mm-hmm. and, and killed him. But Anyhow, so even at that close, if you don't pick your spot, if you don't pick the hair you want to hit, you'll hit somewhere uh, around it, not the hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So sure, absolutely. Yeah. So is that the? Have you killed other elk uh, from that close a range, or is that the closest? Uh, That's that was one of the close ones. I've killed another bull that was three lengths of my bow. Uh huh. I shoot one of Norm's sixty-six uh, inch long recurves. Yeah. And, and I. And what do you what are you using for uh, arrow and uh, broadhead setup? Well, I've changed through the years off and on. Sure. But uh, right now I'm on a Cedar Arrow Kick, um, 7580. Rose City Shafts. Is yeah, that what Rose shot? City Shafts. And uh, I've always loved Bear Razor Arrowheads, sure. always. And, um, I mean, I've shot them with Zwickies and um, some of the other heads. But I, I love the Bears, and that's what I'm still shooting now. Cool. Um but yeah, and then I had a bull I shot at four lengths of my bow. Oh, let's let's hear and let's uh, hear about that. I love these uh up close and personal uh intimate encounters with uh elk. I mean, it's really uh what traditional archery is all about. Okay. Well, um I don't remember the year, but it was a fire danger year, I know that. And I had to Which uh which that means that uh most of our lands, once we go into fire danger, um a lot of the stuff becomes no access and so you've got to get really uh particular or you you got to find that government land or that public land that is uh, going to allow walking access uh for the most part is that uh, what you're referring to yeah this was uh, a hunt where i was you know way back uh way back up in the head of this canyon and uh, i located this bull before daylight got him bugling and i thought oh good i'm not going to call anymore i'm just going to kind of kick back well while I'm waiting for daylight, he's down there getting himself worked up, talking more and more, and he's raking. And so, and so you located him in the dark, and uh, you were waiting for first light to move in. Yeah, and there was this old uh, old logging road from way back in the 
40s probably or whatever, but basically an elk trail, but good, good trail, an old road. And as it got daylight, I threw a couple more bugles out there, and, man, he was frustrated by then. I mean, he he was flat ready to come in by daylight. Fit to be tied, huh? Yeah, and anyhow, I, I got to this uh, where an elk trail took off from the old road, and uh, – when I say road, though, anybody around here knows what I'm talking about. These yeah, are walking roads. I, I was going to tell you, um, once you tell uh, tell everybody, like, we live in this uh, jungle, and um, you've got to use these trails that they make and these little sked roads to get around. You, you, you're not going to just uh, hear a, b- a bugle and look into the woods and go running at them the, the way you would uh, hunting a Rocky Mountain elk. Uh, why don't you give us a little um, description of uh, the steepness and the elevation and um, the kind of brush you're dealing with in, in this country? Well, you've got a lot of, you know, patches of vine, vine maple and uh, ferns that are chest high, salmonberry brush, alder patches, uh, old growth fir trees that uh, if you're not from Oregon, I mean, you'd be impressed with how big these trees are. Yeah, absolutely. They're giants. That uh, So back to my story, when I'm talking about a road, out here, w- a dirt road can reclaim itself in five or six years. I mean, there'll be there'll be new growth on the road. It grows in. Yeah, you're not driving a truck down it. You're, you might you might even be able to ride a bicycle down it. Yeah, right. So uh, anyhow, I should have just called it a trail. But basically, I got this bull fired up. He's he's coming up the Finger Ridge, and uh, it's so steep. I'm on the I'm on the edge of what used to be a road, standing uh, kneeling down in chest high ferns. And he's coming up the hill, and I don't want him right in my lap. I want to be able to pull my bow back and move, but he's coming in pretty good. And at one point, I, I kind of raise up and pull my bow back, and he's at like 12 yards, but there's no shot. And he goes through the alders there. I miss my opportunity to shoot, so now i got to drop back down to my knees. And he comes up off that steep stuff onto the, the level that I'm on, Larger than life, right so, there. So, and you're checking the wind constantly, right? I mean, well, I I do uh, for sure. I hunt with my bow in one hand and my wind indicator in the other. It's kind yeah. of a joke I tell my boys, but um, you definitely got to check the wind a lot. At this point, that bull's in range. He's coming in. Here we go. It's shooting time. I try to shoot him at that at 10, 12 yards. It's not going to happen. He's coming too hard. I get back down, hiding behind the ferns. He jumps. He comes up onto my level. So w- w- I, I I don't mean to stop you, but how do you, what are you telling yourself mentally? I mean, when you're getting into the pocket on these elk, super close, um, there's got to be a mantra. There's got to be something that's going, uh, y- you know, through your head. Uh, share with us what this feels like uh, when you're this close and you can't make it happen and you need to be patient. Um, this is a, a lesson that, uh, yeah. you know, I need to learn. So please share this with me. Yeah, James, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. There is a there's something in your psyche that that goes on. You you've been working this bull, but there comes a point where he's coming in and it's all over but the shooting. And that's what I tell myself. And my bugle's strung over you know through my arm and over my neck, and it's usually hanging in the way, and I I call with it. But when it's all over, the elk is. I mean, when I say it's all over but the shooting, that is when I grab my bugle, slide that thing real quick around to my back. Get comfortable, and it's all over but the shooting, and that's the mental thing. Okay, get focused. My dad taught me when I was young, pick a spot, shoot straight. That's what he'd always always tell us, pick a spot, shoot straight. So you're trying not to 
get so excited you're going to blow this. I mean, every hunt, it's a you got to face that challenge every time. It's it's something you don't ever get over. You might get better at it, but still, you're you're worked up. You're just as rattles that bull coming in, and it's just here we go. And and this back to the story. That bull came right up onto my level, and he's fired up, and he knows I should be there. That's the when you're by yourself, you're calling. You, he knows right where you are. And they, if, they, and they pinpoint you from even from a mile away. Yeah, and if he don't see you, he's not going to stand there and like, where are you? No, it, it, you know, they're constantly smelling the wind. And when he comes up there, if he don't see you, he's going to bolt out of there pretty quick. So anyhow, he comes up onto my level. I pull the bow back. I'm swinging with him. He's broadside. He stops. This is at four lengths of my bow. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, and I'm just seconds from letting the – arrow fly and I see in my peripheral vision I see his rack turn to look at me he had been facing up the hill he didn't right. see me he didn't see me so he's quartering two and turning broadside he's perfectly point? broadside I'm okay. off the trail so when he comes up the trail he's broadside the whole time but I'm I want him to stop and he comes right up there and it just it everything worked out perfect he stopped but a moment before I let the arrow fly I saw his head turn and face me and I thought too late Choo! and that arrow just it it was gone. It just opened up and shoop, shoop, it, I got a pass through on that one, and uh, he just poof, whirled and took four or five steps real quick and stopped. And he's still standing right there. I mean, he's off, he's off the edge of the the spot there, but he's right there. And for a moment, I thought, oh, you could shoot him again. And I thought, no, no, I I saw that arrow. That's perfect. Just don't move. And in a, just a moment or two, he started shaking. And all of a sudden, he just pitched off of that steep spot and rolled. Crash, big, boom, right no to the No kidding. He went down right in front Fell of Fell over right there. Oh, man. I mean, and this is, it's barely, I mean, it's its only been daylight for half hour, you know. Oh, man. And I'm like, wow. Now, I mean, that was, that's a story I'll always remember, you know. So. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that's a pretty intense story. I went out there and later and found my arrow just saturated in blood. No, straight as could be, and I stuck it. That bull rolled down to the creek. Well, I stuck that arrow in the creek while I was skinning on him. And uh, you got him with the bear razor head, or yeah, that mm -hmm. was a, and that was the old super razor heads. I know a lot of people didn't like them because they bent kind of easy. Okay, but uh, I was shooting aluminum shafts then. Aluminum shafts with a Norm Johnson blacktail. Yeah, and that was like with double X seventy fives. Okay, you know twenty one seventeen arrows. Um. And I like I said, I always liked a bear razor. Well, that was the bear razor that screwed in, if you remember, the blue okay. one. And, uh, of so course, the old ones screw in, too, but they have that adapter. Sure. So uh, for anyone that hasn't been around Roosevelt Elk, uh, um, they say they go about a third larger than their Rocky Mountain cousin. I mean, they're, they're a pretty big-bodied elk. Um, e even the immature ones uh, really carry around a lot of weight. So um, once the... Once the shooting's done, uh, um, it's it's time to get down to work, huh? You want to use all that adrenaline you just had in that hunt and stay on that high and start skinning <laughs> because you got a lot of work ahead of you. And you said we got fire danger, so we got we got heat. It's 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 warm out. Oh yeah, both season. Yeah, you've got to you got to get you know get the meat skinned out and hung up in trees and get to packing. So do you have a? Um, uh, friends that you call when this happens, or are, are you uh, solo on these packouts, or how, how does that usually go for you? Well, nowadays, it's I mean, it's great. I got two boys that are, I mean, they're in their prime, them 
I'm, I'm envious of them. You know, Tanner's 17, Tucker's 15. They're they've got muscles, and man, they can pack. So, so, so I'm sitting in the doghouse uh, right now, uh, the old kennel building. Uh, he's got uh, Walker hounds all around here, and it's a hot day. And I'm looking up uh, on the wall, and there's a uh, there's a note on the wall from the principal. Is it from the junior high or the high school? Uh, it's from the high school. Yeah, I kept this note. I was going to put it in my scrapbook, but. Yeah, it's a telephone memo, little yellow notebook, but it's to Tanner and Tucker, and it says, phone dad from home, pick up backpacks, dad shot elk, needs packers. That is classic. <laughs> so the principal uh, dismissed the boys from school and sent them uh, to come pack. Yeah, and just a side note, I went to school with the principal. I mean, he, we went to Coke Hill together, you know, so I know the principal really good, but yeah, this is rural America right here, you know. Right. So, yeah, so Dan, uh, he, he's uh, from Coke Hill, Oregon. It's uh, um, What's the population here at Coke oh, Hill? Oh, it's something around 4,000, 4,500. Yeah, so it used to be. I don't know what it is now. Sure, small town feel, and, and uh, this is uh, the kind of community where the principal uh, will uh, dismiss your kids to go pack an elk. Uh, I mean, that's classic. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about, um, I'm real interested to learn more about um, reading sign um, and tracking because th those seem to be lost arts, um, you know, and, and I'd like to know what's your take on um, when you're going into the woods and you haven't found the herd, um, what are you looking for, how do you go about it, uh, tell me more. Well, that's a good question, that's a broad question but yeah obviously i'm looking for rubs um you know all the normal stuff of course you're looking for droppings and and all that how the trails how much uh use they've had recently but uh on that same note though year round you're you're looking at the sign every time i got my hounds out there or i'm taking the boys fishing and we dive off down to some canyon or something i'm always noting the if i see bull rubs for sure right and in our elk they don't migrate out of this area like uh, like the Rocky Mountain Cousins. They they seem to be more homebodies. So if you locate a herd, um, what do you think, three, four? F what kind of uh, mile, uh, square mile do you think that these her these herds stay in? And, um, you know, speak to that a little bit. I know, uh, I don't know about the, the miles particularly, but different drainages, you know, they can be in, they're going to be somewhere in that big drainage or the next drainage over, you know. Um, and, and herd size, I mean, what what do you notice and has that changed over the years for your elk hunting? Because it seems like um, it's pretty common to see a group of seven, nine elk in a, in a, in a group. Sometimes I'll see herds of 20, but uh, nothing like when I hunt Rocky Mountain elk and see 60 um, uh, what's your experience with that? Yeah, we're, we're def. it's not that kind of elk hunting right here in Coos County. Anyhow, we have, uh, three different game management units here in Coos County, the powers unit, sixes unit. And where I live here, it's called the Tioga unit. Mm -hmm. I live in the Tioga unit also. Okay. Well, I an average herd around here during the rut would be, you know, 10, 12 elk or less with a, what's going to be made up of some couple calves five or six cows and maybe a herd bull and a satellite bull. Was that correct? Yeah, something like that. Um, you get some bigger herds when you go to the sixes unit or even the powers unit. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so you're uh, 
you know, you're hunting smaller herds, so getting back to that sign, it's really critical to, uh, you know, try to note where, uh, you know, where all the rubs are and the different trails. And I, I know when I first um, started hunting elk and uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Gary Wallace. Oh, yeah. Uh, love Gary. I love Gary. He is a class act. I mean, what 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 a special uh, individual. And Gary has given back so much to this sport. I mean, he definitely deserves uh, some credit. He's uh, he's really helped our sport for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, Gary said, uh, "Well, I know you're going out and, and you're you're burning all this boot leather and and you're saying you didn't see elk and you're looking for these elk. Um, you know, you need to learn to read sign." Um, you know, if there's no sign, if the sign's not hot, you're not in the right place anyways. Why, what, you know, and, and it, it took me a, a really a long time to wrap my head around, uh, uh, reading the sign and, uh, um, tracking these elk. Uh, I know, um, I was out with Norm Johnson and I took him into a little honey hole of mine and I was like, yeah, Norm, we just get down here about a mile and a half and there's this wallow and uh, I want to show you this wallow and it's really neat you know they, they they pound it and i got a trail camera on it and we'll probably get to see pictures of some bulls and and uh and you know norm's not big into um, trail cameras or um he, he said okay we'll go down there and we get down there and i'm like oh you know the elk haven't been here and he goes well th they have been here um they were here this morning and uh well the camera obviously it wasn't doing what it's supposed to and that's typical of these uh these cameras i guess uh, sometimes they don't take the photos when they're supposed to and and uh, I said, well, let's go down and check another spot. And uh, he goes, no, we're going to go uh, this way. And I was like, I looked at him like, hey, we're in my spot. I want to move to my next spot. Um, why do you want to go that way? And he goes, uh, see the mud trail going that way? Yeah, yeah. A and uh, I was like, well, by golly, there is a, there's mud on the grass and on the brush going that way. Uh, a bull had rolled in that wallow, and uh, he was leaving a uh, distinct mud trail in the opposite direction that I wanted to head in. And uh, we we followed that mud trail for, oh, I don't know, probably three, 400 yards down into the bottom of the creek. And uh, once we got down there, we ran into a herd of elk. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and uh, so uh, we we snuck up on the, on the elk, and um, I'm getting real excited. And uh, Norm says... We're in the Tioga unit, so it's three points or better bull. We we can't shoot the spikes. We can't shoot the cows anymore. Um, it's uh, the uh, the the current management for this unit, and uh, we see these cows all spread out. And Norm says uh, the wind's kind of swirly. We should back out and get and move out of here. And I look at him like we're on elk, and he says there's no bull here. And I'm like, all right, tell me something I don't know. And he yeah. did a whiff, and he goes, there's no bull here. And he could tell just by smelling. And this was a, an education for me, for sure. I was like, wow, okay. So what's the plan? He goes, we're going to get the wind right, and we're going to slide around, and maybe the bull's uh, further up the mountain. So we did that, and we come up the mountain, and we run into another cow. She's in the road. And and uh, I'm like, oh, there's another one. We get down in the ditch, and... And uh, I see Norm go, and then he reaches over to my quiver, and he pulls an arrow out of my quiver, and he hands me the arrow, and he says, you're going to need this. 
and oh man, my eyes got big and I already started getting the fever. I'm, I'm bad at that. And, and I'm like, you see one? And he goes, no, but I can smell one. And there's, there's one here. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was a, a, a turning point for me. I, I really learned a lot that day and it turned out that, um, uh, the bull was up on the hill with some cows and he had me slide up there and he did a little cow calling and I ended up with a, a cow four feet from my broadhead. I'm in the tall ferns, six foot ferns on my knees and she's standing broadside right in front. And man, if it would have been the sixes unit or the Sayuslaw unit, uh, I would have let one fly and pulled a Godfrey on that cow. <laughs> uh, but uh, she wasn't legal. And I could see the bull up there at about 80 yards, and he didn't want to play whatsoever. Matter of fact, he uh, heard us, didn't see what he wanted to see, and he turned and burned. And I wanted to go after him, and Norm said, no, we're going to back out. He didn't smell us, and we're going to come back for him tonight. And we w- we left those elk, and that that I wasn't used to that. Yeah, uh, it, w- it was an eye-opener for me. Now, on that same note, with everything you learned that day, you could take that, and when you're hunting, and – all of a sudden, you come across mud that's three feet high on the ferns. Right. You're like, whoa, what's that? Yeah. And then you see more mud. Well, the closer you get to the wallow, the more mud you see. Right. You know you're coming into a bull's bedroom down there. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Uh, also, talking about the bulls smelling, I've I've shot bulls and didn't hit them so good. And you are you don't got blood, but you got your nose. Them old stinky, rutting bulls peeing on themselves. You smell that. Okay, he went this way, you know, type of thing. Right. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's, so, yeah, touch, uh, maybe touch a a little bit more on, um, I mean, have you been on some hunts where you actually uh, tracked the elk uh, to locate them? Um, I, oh, yeah, but... Like I said, I, I'm more of a bugle hunter, mm-hmm. but I, I will uh, hunt timber patches or what have you and hunting down through ridges and hit flats, and you're going to go wherever the elk sign leads you. Right. You know, and uh, sure, so I, I will do it that way too. So um, when you say you're a bugle hunter, um, I, I'm uh, big into bugling also, and I'd love to hear. I have never had the privilege of uh, hunting with Dan yet. I hope that we're going to make that change uh, here in the future, but uh I, I know you touched on some uh, night bugling already. You were doing some locating uh, in, in the wee uh, early hours of the morning. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your uh, bugling strategies and uh, um, you know what what what's working for you at the at the current time. I like uh, I've tried all the different bugles and most of them work really you know really well. But I've actually switched to uh, using just a diaphragm mm-hmm. with a tube. Yep, and uh, it's not. I don't blow enough air like a lot of guys. I don't do a real loud locating type of bugle. Okay. Um, I like to get get in the woods, go you know where I think there's a bull, and you know I'm slipping through the trails, and then I'll use that diaphragm and I'll bugle. So just kind of some kind of short squealy type bugles. I usually start out with like a soft chuckle, just in okay. case just in case the bull's closer than you might expect. You don't blow him out with a big, loud, strong, overpowering bugle that he doesn't know you're around. All of a sudden, you do that and blow him out of there. Okay. Um, so you utilize chuckles. Um, I, I've noticed that the Roosevelt's, uh, e- even the young, immature ones, do a lot of chuckling. Uh, you know, maybe touch on that a little bit. They they do that with their cows too. You can uh, the bull I got last year. He was I got to watch him for about forty five minutes before I even started my hunt. 
and he was, I mean, just watching him, I could tell he was rutting. He was, he'd been in a wallow that night, and it was just, it's the muddiest elk I've ever killed. He had mud impacted in his horns. His whole body was muddy. Which, which elk is this? Uh, the one I got last year. The one you got last year. Well, yeah. I mean, shoot, we're already touching, so let's just, let's let, that, that is a really, uh, that's a nice bull. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay, well, to get, to answer your other question okay. about the bugling, sure. too, I don't have a necessarily a formula that I use on, on say, every hunt. It's okay. just every bull is – every bull has his own mood depending on where he's at, how far along he is in the rut, you know. And as you start calling to him and how he reacts is how you determine how aggressive you want to be or, or whatnot, you know. So So you just kind of – you take it by feel. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. If the if the bull's matching you call for call, or he's calling w when you're not calling, okay, he's more than ready, type of a thing. And then I try to just get in there and close the gap as quick as I can. So you're 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 locating and then moving in on him. Yeah, and, and back to long range bugling and stuff. If you do happen to locate one from a far away, keep in mind you got you know competition out there listening too. Right. And I've had, I'm sure most people have had several times where. Whether intentional or not, people hear that and bang, they're in on it, and next thing you know, you're that your hunt's blown, you know. So I don't do a bunch of long range calling back and forth. Once I find that elk, I try to get right in there and get close to him. You know? So, are you running? Um, no, but I uh, I don't try to be, be so quiet. I I was with my boss a few years ago, and he and my my son actually um, videotaped this hunt, but I. I showed my vi the video to my boss, is what I meant to say. And he's like, what's all that noise? What's that noise? And uh, it was me walking through the brush, and he was kind of wondering why I wasn't being more quiet. But when you're calling elk, I mean, yeah, yeah they, elk they expect you. Right? Elk are not quiet. So, yeah, I don't, I don't run, but I don't be quiet either. I mean, I, I just slip on through the brush, and it, if I'm popping sticks and what have you, I mean, yeah, then I'll throw some cow calls out or, or whatever. But. Yeah, but I, I I try to get to that bull as quick as I can. Yeah, in my in my uh, uh, beginning stages, uh, you know, I watch too much TV, and so I, I get one going, and then I just stay put, thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna call this elk in." And uh, it seems like uh, nine out of ten times, uh, you really need to go to them. I mean, at some point they come in, but they're not gonna just cross the uh, the whole country. Um, it, it almost it almost seems like they're going to, but I think a lot of times w what they're doing is they're just rounding up uh, the herd and leaving. Yeah, that for sure happens too. I have had, I have, in steep ground especially, uh, take off trying to get down there, get a little closer, and I've caught that bull passing me up. He's, oh, man, there, he, you know, he's he's in the brush, and all of a sudden he's crashing right up through, and he just passed you, and then he smells you, and it's over. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, like I said, every bull's different, but that's what makes it really fun, you know. You said uh, in, in steep ground especially. I mean, do we hunt anything that's uh, not steep? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it seems like we need four-wheel drive. Uh, when I say four-wheel drive, I'm referring to uh, uh, the quads God gave me and uh, my left and right hand uh, <laughs> grabbing stuff as I'm uh, pulling myself up. Um, we hunt some straight up and down brushy country uh, here. Uh, I, I call it the jungle. For sure, for sure. And we've got some uh, wind that uh, never seems to uh, want to cooperate. Yeah, the wind is a real issue, and for sure, you got to be checking it. You can't. It, it's not like in other places where the thermals 
you know, in the afternoon warm up and, okay, we can guess the wind's going to blow this way pretty much for the rest of the day. It ain't like that here. No, and, not uh, at all. This hunt that I was about to, about to tell you here, the wind was good where I was, but when I got 300 yards down to the bottom, it was doing something completely different. You right. Know? So, so, so what do you, what do you do in that situation? You can never beat the wind. I mean, right. I, I haven't tried all the latest and greatest gadgets, but I've tried them before when they came out, different stuff. And you can't beat the wind. I'm sorry. They, they live or die by their nose. So if the wind's wrong, you've got to get it back in your favor, and you've got to back out of there immediately and get it in your favor. And if you try from another angle and it's wrong, unless it's uh, Sunday night and you got to work Monday morning, I mean, if you got any chance at all, pull out of there and get on him the next day. So, so a lot of huffing and puffing. Yeah. Copy. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that's another one of my saying, you can't beat the wind. Yeah, you no. can beat their eyes. You can beat their ears, but their nose, they will, they don't never second guess their nose. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It almost seems like too, that w when you can, when that you do call them in, it's like you barely have the wind. Like you've got the wind, but they think they've got the wind. You got like that cross sideways wind where they kind of think it's in their favor and it's kind of in your favor, but it's not going to be for long. Um, do you find that? Oh yeah, yeah. So and that's another reason why once you've found that bull, and depending on his mood, if he's shy, you can't push him that hard. But but it, if everything's looking good and he's responding, I try to get right in there. Wind's good. That's the first thing that's going to probably bust you is the wind's going to change. And so, yeah, don't dilly-dally. Get down in there and get in range and pull them to you and get it done. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're just trying to dig deep here. Uh, 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 Dan's a very humble guy, and and um, but as you can tell by the statistics, I mean, this guy's killed 20-plus uh, Roosevelt's uh, with the stick and string, and um, it, people don't do that. Um, it's, it, you know, most guys will hunt. 20 years and average one every five, six, seven, eight years, may maybe get one in that time. And uh, so, you know, I'm just trying to, uh, to get into your brain. I, I want, I want to learn uh, as, as much as I can, uh, um, you know. Well, on that note too, after that, um, I, I'd like to thank my dad publicly. My dad was patient. He took me and my brother when we were so young that it was pretty much guaranteed we were going to mess his hunt up, but he did that. Um, I'd also like to thank, you know, Norm Johnson, um, Gary Wallace. Yeah, there's just so many people that have actually influenced my hunting style, you know. So I have killed a lot of elk, but I've been fortunate to have a lot of good teachers also. Yeah. Um, all, all the uh, gentlemen he mentioned, uh, you know, uh, were – just lucky to to be around people like that uh f for sure uh, and i left out my brother there my me and my brother are tight and we've killed a lot of elk together so uh, i've enjoyed having a good brother who's four years older we're close and uh that's awesome yeah these last few years his boys are a little bit older than my boys just well they're pr right in there but he's been spending all his effort with his boys and i've been spending mine with mine so sure sure so uh, your boys are, have they hit the woods yet with an elk tag in their pocket and a stick bow in their hand? Or uh, Tanner's had a bow deer tag. Okay. And then I've took him on plenty of elk hunts. And um, 
introduced him to that as L well. Learning him up. Yeah, I called a bull in one time to eight yards from him one time. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, a few years ago, his knee, Tanner's knee was touching my knee and this big old five point. It, from start to finish, Tanner was on the whole hunt. But when it came right down to crunch time, Tanner's knee was touching mine, and here comes this bull. And he had briars. He had six, eight feet of briars hanging off of his horns, <sighs> charging in, crash, bang, boom, you know. And I mean, I, he'll never forget that, and neither will I. They make a racket when they, when they uh, mean business. It, it is so fun, you know. I mean. That's really how I like to kill them. I mean, and I'm not going to pass one up if you happen to be slipping down some trail and there's a elk feeding at 30 yards and you shoot them. That's fine, too. But I love to have them come in, and it just it tests everything you got to get it done, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, tell, us a, uh, tell us another elk story because I, I just don't get sick of hearing these. Uh, um, I, I particularly would like to uh, um, – the either the bull from last year or the one from the year before. Those you, I know you've taken two nice bulls the last two years, and uh, whichever uh, one you want to start with, I'd love to hear about those. Well, since I started on the one from last year, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be quick on that one. But I can drag these stories out too. So no, we, we, we uh. I want to learn from them. Uh, <laughs> selfishly, uh, I, I'm over at uh, Dan Godfrey's house uh, to uh, pick his brain, and I decided to bring uh, everyone along with me and and uh, share it with uh, share it with everybody. <laughs> well. This uh, this particular hunt, uh, it had been a frustrating season for one thing. I just wasn't getting into the elk, and uh, season was moving right along. We were, oh, well, I, th I think on the third weekend. So we're then. we have a thirty day season. So you're twenty twenty one days into the season. Yeah, and I just I hadn't had a lot of action. I'd been hiking, and all my usual spots just weren't panning out. And uh, so anyhow, I was getting, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you got uh, some hungry kids to feed. Well, I get stressed. I don't want to get skunked. So I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And Sure. And uh, anyhow, so back at it, this bull's down there. He's in a small unit, and he's down there, down low. They're feeding, and they're about to go into the timber. And anyhow, so I, I'm, I don't want to hunt him out in the open, so I got nothing but time. I'm going to let him feed and get in the brush. So I get to study his horns. I know exactly what he is and uh, watch him. And he's chuckling at his cows and walking with his neck all stretched out, just lovesick. And I thought, man, that guy's ready. He is. He's ready. I get in the brush with him and challenge him. He He's going to come. So anyhow, as they – filter out out of the clear cut so what kind of distance are you and what part of the day are we in at this point we're you know we're late morning these elk okay. are getting ready to you know they're they're going back into the timber they're for the day they're headed for bed yeah and i i let them get completely out and then i wait like 15 minutes to make sure no cows are just on edge and seeing me coming type of thing but and elk are loud too there's a whole herd there and they're feeding snapping sticks so as they start going up the hill i work my way down to the creek and like I said, the wind was different then as it was on top. So, I mean, it's a good thing I really waited good because they were up on the hill. But anyhow, long story short, I get in there and I, I get the wind right again. And finally, I blow a, a chuckle at him is what I do. Okay. And he'd been chuckling to his cow, so I didn't think it should really surprise him. I mean, I don't hear too much. Them, it doesn't work as good as it used to back in the 90s, I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, I could tell you another story about that, where, where I blew a cow call. I mean, those bulls, they didn't smell me. They didn't 
do nothing. I mean, they didn't know I was there. And, man, they took off. They took off so fast it wasn't funny. And sure. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, sure. so. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, you're you, you're, uh, you're you're close to the herd. and Yeah, and, I, you know, when I do a cow call, it's just kind of a touchy-feely. Let's, let's see here. who's How close am I type of thing. You blow a cow call, a lot of times a, a calf's going to squeak back or a cow. Or yeah. You I'm don't have to be the bull. I just want to know how close to you am I. Well, when I did that, that bull freaked. I mean, he freaked, just ripped one off and grunted, and he thought, you get your butt over here, lady. I mean, and he come, here he come. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm in him. And uh, all the frustration, all the tension from before, and now here he, he, here he comes. And I can see him. I'm in the dark reprod, and there's a, oh, a little kind of a draw there. The sunlight was coming through. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it. Here he come. And I'm like, out of the thick stuff, here he is. And he's walking to me. And I, back to uh, what I would mentioned earlier, in, your, in my mind, it's like, okay, Danny, it's all over but the shooting. And I take that my bugle and slide it around. I still use the bugle with my uh, the tube, the bugle tube, with yep. my cow call. I can yeah. stick it up there. Yeah, you know, do a couple. Yeah, because of this thick jungle that we're hunting in, um, y- you can get a couple hundred yards from a buddy, and he crack a bugle, and you may not even hear it. Yeah. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense utilizing your tube for for cow calls, and and let me paint this picture a little bit too. Uh, Dan's got some uh, probably some old Danners on, and a pair of blue jeans that he probably wore to work uh, the day before, <laughs> and maybe uh, uh, Dan served in the army, so he might have. Uh, one of his uh, army surplus coats on, or uh, I mean, these are the pictures. I, I have an elk hunted with them, but I've I've seen uh, I've seen quite a few dead elk with Dan uh, Dan standing uh, behind them, and this is usually uh, uh, the get up that uh, I've seen. <laughs> well, it is true. I've killed a lot of elk with blue jeans. Um, I know a lot of logger types around here that have too. But uh, sure, uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah, Norm Johnson. You'll see him hunting in blue jeans quite a yeah, bit too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, hey, I like all the latest and greatest camouflage too. But yeah, it's true. Most of the time, I, it, it just seems that. So you hear that, folks? Uh, <laughs> you, you can get it done and get three, four yard shots uh, in your blue jeans. It, it has been done. <laughs> uh, where was I? Uh, we are, uh, we are in the herd. Um, you've uh, vocalized a few cow calls, and uh, he's uh, hot to trot. Yeah, I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, it's all over but the shooting, and I slide my bugle back. I don't know if he's going to come to my left or to my right at this point. So you're using this mantra. You're talking to yourself. You're talking to yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, you <laughs> – yeah. Yeah. And up until now, I've been frustrated, almost mad at this elk. He don't want to play, and I am I want him, you know. Right. Well, here he is, larger than life. He's coming through that sun patch, and he, he's coming into my lap, and he don't even know it. So if I don't mess this up, it's this is going to happen type of thing. Anyhow, I remember – Watching him, thinking, okay, don't look at his horns. Don't stu- don't look at his horns. Study behind his shoulder. Start looking. Start looking at it behind his shoulder. And sure enough, he comes. There was a point where I didn't know if he was going to come left or right. Well, I'm on my knees, and I'm, I got my bow up. I'm kind of hiding my face behind, behind my bow. And he decides to go on the uphill side of me, which is to my left. And there's uh, a little shooting lane up there. He's inside of 30 now or – I end up letting arrow fly at 15 yards when I pace it off. So okay. as he's coming into range, I'm just trying to study right behind his front shoulder. I'm looking at that hairline. Picking that spot. Yeah. And there's this stump, and I decide I'm going to shoot him when he gets by that stump. And so right, he's almost to it. I pull the bow back. I'm swinging with it, 
swinging my bow arm with him, focusing on that spot, but the angle ain't right yet. And part of my brain's going, shoot, shoot, shoot. And the other part's going, no, wait, wait, wait. Make it easy on yourself. He, you know, you want to get a good shot. Sure enough, as soon as he turns broadside, that front shoulder's clear. I let her fly. He does a little skip. I mean, the arrow disappeared too. Boop. He skips and he just prances right in front of me, pretty as a picture. Mm. Crash, bang, boom, like slow motion runs. And I'm looking at where I was, where the arrow should be. It ain't there. And I'm like, but I saw it like a tracer. Shoop, just yeah. bury, you know. But I don't really get a lot of pass throughs with my bow. Well, you're, you're uh, I think we're shooting the, we both shoot. 51 pounds, is that your 51, This 52? last bow I have is 52 pounds. 52 pounds, yeah, mine's 52 pounds at 30. Yeah. I think that's what yours is also. Yeah, and I shoot about a 600-grain arrow. Uh, and you're shooting a cedar shaft at the time. Yeah. A bear razor head. Yeah, and it's all where you hit them. I mean, I got, I didn't hit no rib and all that, and I was close. So you like a long bow, a long recurve. You're shooting a 66-inch? I do. It's yeah. um, smooth. Yeah, Norm's one that coached me on that way back in the beginning. Less finger pinch and yeah, what with your you. long draw and for more sure. forgiving, you know. Yeah, I mean you're on thirty, it, it, it makes it a lot more comfortable to shoot. Yeah. So uh, he 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 just uh, he just ate one of your uh, cedar shafts. It's done. I mean it's floop. It there the shot was good. He prances out, and I notice the arrow ain't where it's supposed to be. I don't see it, but I'm not worried. I, I you know, and he runs off, and. Uh, Every time this happens, I don't – you'd think you'd get up and freak out. and But I just sit there and, and like, I live in the moment right there. That's what you live for right there. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, oh, I want to I wanna stay right here. I want to I wanna enjoy this for a minute. And then it's all quiet. And then I finally get up and I pace it off over to where his tracks start running. He's walking and all of a sudden you see where he's kicked up where his tracks were – where the arrow hit him. And I pace it to 15 yards, and I don't see my arrow high or low. Or it's since I was shooting uphill, if I had missed him, the arrow should be right there. Sure. But I don't see it. But then I look over about 10 yards away, and the arrow's facing me, covered in its blood from front to back, you know. And I shoot a winner, winner, chicken a, dinner. Yeah, it's a clear lacquered shaft, almost a real light white. Okay. Sh- you know, it's yeah. clear. And it was just covered, and air bubbles on it. And I'm just like, oh, dude. I mean, this doesn't get any better than that. But uh, I will tell you, though, and I, I've told you this before about the tracking, remember? Now, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll mention that in this story. So here I've got a pass-through. you got two holes. I mean, it should be. You, you should have all kinds of blood and everything. Right. But uh, anyhow, just the way this particular one was, he filled up on the inside. And Did uh, you hit him higher? Oh, the f- it, it should have had all kinds of blood. I hit him about mid elk. Mm-hmm. It came out high on the other side. Sure, because it was uphill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was still, uh, you know, it was, it was plenty broadside enough. But it, th- the exit was, uh, you know, back there by about the second or third to the last rib type of thing. Okay. And a little bit high. But uh, I mean, a good lethal shot. But he just didn't bleed much. And I remember losing blood. You know, I waited. I I like to wait as long as I can stand it. You know, at least at least forty five minutes if I can. Um, I've seen him go down right after a good shot. So I mean, you don't have to wait forty five minutes. But it gets back to that, just enjoying the whole thing. You know, sure. and making sure. You know, 
And then when I track one, I treat it just like you're hunting one, like the shot's not good. I mean, I'm not making noise or talking to people or I still cow call when I break sticks and I'm I'm hunting them as I'm tracking it. Do you call right after the shots to to calm the elk or do you not? Uh, yeah, I, I do that too a mm -hmm. lot of times. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know what our good uh, buddy Gary Wallace does after that situation? What's that? He pukes every time. Does he really? You have to ask him about it. He says it doesn't matter if it's a cow, a small bull, a big bull. Every elk, not with a mule deer, not with a blacktail, but every single elk he's ever shot in his life behind. But boy, when you're in fire danger and everything's dry, uh, it's, and you got one animal you're following, it that's a tough track. Yeah. So so how far are you from where you shot him from at this point? You're you're he's circling or he's uh, jay hooking, and well now when I say this, it's going to surprise the people that's hunted in open country, but. But to go, he probably probably went 150 yards out to my left and then uphill another 50, 60 yards and then back. He almost came back almost above where I shot him, up the hill. And and he did that all, you know, just he, he did that quick. He died on his feet. He he didn't bed down and get sick and die. He died on his feet. But So what was the hit? It was a double lung hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he still yeah, so found he the stamina to go. Death march. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah. He was a big, nice, big bull. In, in the country we live in, you got to have these skills. Um, you know, I've heard of, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into this, but guys lose elk um, with all weapons. And a lot of it is just from not having the experience because it's so thick. You could, you could walk right past a dead elk if... Uh, you don't have the skill set. I mean, I knew some guys that uh, I think they had 10, 10 people looking for this bull for two days. I mean, they were grid searching and all that. And when the buzzards finally showed up, they missed him by like 50 yards. He was right there. Yeah, that stinks. I, uh, it, it can happen to anybody. I sure. Mean, I, I remember I shot an elk. Actually, and I, I mean, I was close to him. I saw the arrow right behind the shoulder. Boom, good penetration. He barely made it out of sight. Everything, I mean, I knew he was dead. And uh, but as a as a traditional bow hunter, you you owe it to yourself to also have these uh, uh, woodsmanship skills, you know. And, and these are the things that uh, uh, that I'm uh, working on, you know, because it's so important. A after the shot, there's so much more work to be done. For sure. I'm about to tell you a humbling story here, though. I I shoot this elk. I know it's good. It's a good shot. He goes out of sight. And while I'm waiting, I, I swear I hear him go down. But the whole herd's down, you know, below me too. But anyhow, I still wait. I wait a half hour, 45 minutes. Well, I slip in there to where I thought I heard him go down. And I don't see him. And there's another elk that filled up with blood. Uh, um, and that's a common thing where they fill up on the inside and not much comes out. Right. If you don't hit them middle and low, you know. Right. But anyhow, I had walked – that what that elk had went down this trail, and then when he died, he kicked off that trail, and the ground's so steep, he kind of launched himself in a briar patch. And anyhow, I looked, I looked, and I'm, you know, I'm dehydrated, I'm wore out, and I'm like, I need to get my brother. Well, I go back and get my brother, and I tell him exactly. I says, hey, I shot him here. I saw the penetration. It's a good shot. Do your best. You know, look, and, you know. My brother's really good. If you tell him something, he don't doubt what you say, and he he will look with every effort he has, just like he'd shot it, you know. Right. 
I'm not kidding you, in like five, ten minutes, he yells at me, hey, Danny, get up here. I'm like, don't you screw with me, man. Do not screw with me. He goes, come here, and he's laughing. Well, that thing had launched itself, like I said, off the trail, and just a piece of the hoof was sticking up out of the briars. So like a blackberry, Himalayan blackberry bush? Yeah, like a blackberry patch. Patch, yeah. And he didn't stumble into it and leave a big bunch of sign. He jumped. He jumped like when he died. He did like a death jump. To to paint the picture for you guys, uh, we get these big Himalayan blackberry bushes that, I mean, they can be the size of a mansion. I mean, of a a six-bedroom house. I mean, some of these bushes are, and you you don't you don't walk into them. I mean, they're they're thorned. Yeah. Uh, so um, I can I can I can see that. I mean, I can just see them on this steep country and just landing in this thing and disappearing. Yeah. Not Anyhow, a, a guy goes through so many emotions when he's tracking one, and your worst thing that you could do is panic or doubt yourself. I mean, take the facts. You know, where did where do you think the arrow hit him? How much penetration do you have? All this stuff. Well, here I had seen it. I mean, I saw it for what it was. I watched the bull go out of sight with the arrow right where it's supposed to be and everything. And I I struggle to find that thing. And here my brother finds it in, like I said, five or ten minutes. But my man tracks had been on the elk trail looking for blood and looking for sign. And I had missed that hoof that was sticking up in the air. Right. So it's kind of a funny story between me and my brother. But Oh, I'm, I'm sure it goes both ways with you boys. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Uh, uh, that 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 bull, uh, he was a was he a f- six by six? Uh, the one last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice big black antler bull. Um, he actually had another little devil point. You know, some people count those where y- he'd be a seven by six type of thing. Yeah, yeah. These coastal bulls, uh, a lot of the genetics in the Taug unit, they get these devil points, which uh, it's uh, coming up out near the bases. It's kind of in between the G one and G two, and they stick up just like uh, like like you would think, like a devil point. Yeah. Um and uh it's it's yeah, it's pretty neat. You picked up a shed the other day that had uh, a set of double de- uh, devils on it, didn't you? Oh, that's Oh yeah, that is so cool. That was so cool. That was awesome and I was like, "Dan, you got to find the other side of that bull." Yeah. Uh, that was a cool shed that you picked Did up. Did I tell you I found the other side? Oh yeah, you sent yeah, me the yeah. picture. You said you put it, put in the time uh the the first side uh his his strong side was a little more impressive but uh still uh, what what a cool set uh, what an awesome matching set you picked up yeah it was it's really unique with uh the f- there's four points where there would normally be two yeah he's got a double double set of devils yeah i mean it is pretty cool yeah that's a, that's a, that's a, that'd be a, uh and he's alive that's not a bull I can hunt, unfortunately. Darn it. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I do uh, salmon work for uh, the Coos Watershed, and I um, end up in timber company land uh, that ends up being leased uh, by the wealthy or uh, for the permit holders, and uh, me and Dam don't play that game. Uh, we, we hunt everything that uh, everyone else gets to hunt. And, yeah. And, uh, I know the guys will get to hunt him, and I'll root him on. Hopefully they get him, but, uh, yeah, it was an impressive bull. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um yeah, so uh, on these tracking stories, I'd, I'd love to hear one more if if you could. Uh, maybe tell us uh, uh, a story where uh, where you shot an elk and uh, it, you know uh, you you took everything you get to to recover him. Okay, well I've got a few of those stories, of course. Oh, well, those uh, are the ones we learned from. Yeah, uh, well, and I I know you gave me an open invitation that uh, I hold dearly. Is hey man, if you get one into a tough situation and I'm available. Um, you know, I'm your man. And so, uh, you know, well, help is, uh, it's nice to have help. And especially when you're fighting those emotions, of, Oh no, you're doubting yourself. And 
but yeah, you get an arrow in the body cavity of an elk, chances are good he's dead. You're gonna, yeah. you got to do your part. Everything you can do. Yeah, this is where that woodsmanship comes yeah. into into play. And so yeah, uh, I want to learn more. So if you can get, give me one more of those uh, uh, juicy stories, because I mean, hey, we all like to pinwheel them, uh, hit them right in the chalupa, and watch them crash, like your first story. I mean, that's a perfect ideal situation. But these Roosevelt elk, I mean, they could be thousand pounders they don't they don't even fall over dead to rifle i mean they are notorious die hard sons of guns and, and it, you know gary wallace had told me years ago and for sure he's right at the time he told me i i wasn't so sure but he said them great big black horned heavy big bodied bulls just die so hard and uh man he is right i've shot i've shot some in lethal spots and what they have done just like that story i told you how far he went i mean they got a will to live you know yeah yeah so yeah uh drum us up a uh, another good one that we can all learn from uh, well i uh, just what comes to mind off the cuff here is a i made a shot uh i shot an elk where i hit the tip of its heart okay i, I shot low the arrow looked left to right it, it was a 30 yard shot okay and it was Looking good left to right, but it dropped to just out of sight at the top of the ferns. And, but the elk skipped and bolted. You know, I obviously hit him. And then he's out of sight. And that's all I know. And uh, my, my buddy comes over. And anyhow, I'm like, hey, I, I got one hit. And he's like, well, let's, let's go see how much blood you got. See if we can find your arrow or whatever. The herd's gone. Everything's, it's okay to do that at this point, you know. Yeah. And, uh, well, we're looking around. I can't find my arrow. But we find blood. We got pretty good blood, and I'm like, okay, well, let's uh, let's kick back, man. Uh, is this a morning hunt or evening hunt? This is in the morning. Okay, you're lucky. Yeah. I, I I'm always uh, getting my uh, opportunities right there before dark. And well, I'll tell you what, yeah. I have. Uh, I was late in getting a headlamp. I've had two cell flashlights, uh, you know, in my mouth. I've had them jammed up on a log while i'm scanning by myself sure. so i know about the night i'm sure you do so yeah so every sounds magnified at night you're covered in blood you're sure. skinning oh sure. yeah, I've so, been there. So, so you've nicked the nicked the heart on this elk and uh you got a, a buddy uh, that's uh been calling or hunting with you and yeah and you guys are on the trail yeah this was yeah so here we are well we've so we've identified we've got good blood and uh it's time to sit down and let's wait you know let the arrow do its job well my buddy was like a hound on a bear scent or something. He wanted to keep going. Keep let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. And this was years ago. I was we were both younger then. Sure. And uh, I couldn't hold him back. I mean, even though I'd shot it, I'm like, no, let's wait. Well, no, let's go up here. Let's go a little further. Oh, lots of blood here. Lots of blood here. Well, guess what we did? We got a little further and a little further, and we ended up not waiting, and we bumped that stinking elk, and it jumped up right in front of us and ran. And, I mean, it took off, and now it knew that we were chasing it. And I'll tell you, that turned out to be one of the hardest track jobs I've ever did. Um, it ended up crossing. So I'm going to slow you down. You've jumped it up. Now Now what uh, What's what, what happens? I mean, are, are you guys going to stay on its tail, or are you going to give it time? Or what do you what do, you do this day on this Well, hunt? I mean, I know, I know uh, what protocol – but w what happens on this day? Well, keep in mind, we're family, friends, buddies, you know. Right. But I'm frustrated. I've been kind of frustrated all along. No, we need to wait. We need to wait. Well, anyhow, bang, this thing, it happens. 
Sure. So now I, I will be a little more assertive. We're going to wait. You know, we're right. sitting down and we're going to wait. And uh, that thing runs off. And in its bed is lots of blood. So, you know, we got we got a good chance of finding this thing, except now we just made the track job twice as hard because it's running Mach 1. Anyhow, we uh, it crosses uh, it crosses a heavily used gravel road. It crosses a river. Oh, and uh, so how 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 this are you? This is Williams River for those of that know so that's that. a yeah that's a uh, that's a uh, that's a mainstay that's a it's a it's a river. So how how were you able to keep the track the track and the trail uh, when you got across a river? Yeah, this is. Uh, we had lost it several times and then just barely found stuff. It really wasn't bleeding much anymore. So are we in? And are we pushing into the evening at this point or? Uh, late in the day. Okay. And we're clear up on, uh, it's called Upper Cabin. Anyhow, we, we've got, this is the worst pack my family and hunting party has ever had. This story I'm telling you about, it, it turned out to be horrific. <laughs> but anyhow, it's clear down in here. It crosses the river and... I end up having to go to the other side of the river, and I'm wading upstream for 100 yards, nothing, downstream 100 yards, and finally I find a couple of water droplets on some stuff, you know, where it come out on the rocks. And so you're tracking some a, wet, a wet elk. A wet spot here and there. Yeah. And uh, anyhow, I just, I'll never forget finding just little pieces, and my buddy thinking we're never going to find this we're never going to find this it's over we're never going to find it and i'm like and quick I, quick to bump it and quick to quick to quit well, huh? and as long as we got any chance of finding it we're going to look you know yeah. and i'm just like hey why don't you go ahead and start back i i just i need i need to think <laughs> i need to be i need to think i don't need somebody to tell me we're not going to find it at this point right you know? right and uh actually he was still with me because i remember reaching my hand out and pulling these big chest high ferns down like this and there's that big white body right there. <gasps> you know, it's like, there he is. And the uh, arrow, it it died. I, the arrow was laying by its mouth. Like it reached down and pulled that arrow I've out. I've heard of that. And it laid there and died. So well, so were you 50 feet? Did you have an arrow sticking out one side and the arrow sticking out the other just low? Was that, is that? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, I just, if I'd have shot. Aluminum shaft? That was, and you would okay. have thought it would have snapped. But sure, sure. But, uh, and I can't remember, maybe pieces of it did. But here was... I was thinking maybe it just bent and stayed in there. Yeah, but the bulk of the arrow was right there by its mouth. Okay. And uh, if I would have shot, what is that? You know, that's only three, four inches. Right, right yeah. Had I shot inches. that much lower, I would have missed. Okay. But So I didn't actually get into the workings of the heart. I just hit the tip of the heart. But it gave it enough trauma and enough blood... So no, didn't touch the lungs. You just nicked the heart. Yeah, that's it. And so, um, how far away from the shot uh, as a crow flies? Uh, I understand that this elk went up and down and around, um, so it's going to be further. But how far as a crow flies did you did you recover oh the man. elk? I don't know. I would long ways. I, uh, he was probably six hundred yards. I mean, he went. Uh, he panicked and ran, and half of that was down a mainline rock road. You know coffee Dang. when he crossed that river it was you know i didn't even know for sure that he crossed really until i checked the other side so I mean, that was that must have been really rewarding though it was and that was uh the things that i learned on that track you know i mean always stuck with me for the future you know so yeah absolutely that's never give up never give up never give up you know until you 
you know, until you have to, but never give up. You know? Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sound advice. Um, and, and on the note of that is wait. Be patient enough to wait. You got that arrow has to do its job. Give it time to do its job, you know. Right, so. right. Well, um, you got you got any uh, anything you want to leave us with? You know, uh, so some advice for uh, for new elk hunters out there. Um, you know what? Uh, you know what? What do you recommend uh, as far as uh, you know a guy getting his his feet wet and and getting into Roosevelt elk? And uh, you know what? What are the some of the key um, things you think that bring uh, uh, your success? Well. That's a good question, and I could answer that in a million ways. But in a nutshell, what I like to do when I'm scouting or what have you, I like to find a half a dozen places or less and learn them really good. Learn them inside and out. Where are those elk going to go once they've been bumped type of thing rather than scouting all over the three counties or, you know, wherever that you hunt. Try to find a spot. Learn it intimately. Use your days off. Learn it and just have a good time. Get after them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that, that's definitely sound advice. So I'd like to finish this off here just at the end. Uh, I know this has uh, been all Roosevelt elk hunting, and uh, Dan, the Danimal Godfrey, is a Roosevelt slayer in my book. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, Dan could get it done on uh, the moon on a Martian if uh, that was what, it, what he needed to do. So um, I don't want to mention unit names. Uh, or, or anything like that, but uh, I know that uh, we like a little bit of mule deer hunting. Um, sure. it, it's it's uh, something to, uh, to ch uh, just a big refreshing change for us. We're we're in this thick coastal uh, jungle, and um, I know uh, we all, uh, myself, and I know Dan, if we can get that elk down, uh, now all of a sudden we've got a, a mule deer tag burning in our pocket. And um, best case scenario, is uh, you, you get that elk in the freezer, and uh, we uh, pack up the truck, and we drive uh, 12 hours to uh, a place that uh, we like to hunt mule deer. And um, this is a uh, high desert, open country, uh, 8,000 feet, um, wide open, wide open spaces. Um, it's, uh, it's totally different. And um, I, I don't know that um, if, you, if you've been doing a lot of mule deer hunting your whole life, but I know that I sent you over to uh, the place I like to uh, mule deer hunt, and I, I expected it completely. Like, and and uh, I'm like that with my friends. I, I'll share uh, any you know guys that I have a lot of respect for that I know that res have respect for me. So I was like, Dan, you should camp here. Uh, you should look in this basin. Uh, you should glass from this spot. Call me if you uh, get turned around as far as trying to find this spot. Um, and uh, Dan just goes over there, and this is a couple days into it, and just shoots himself a 180 mule deer. Well, you for sure bailed me out on that hunt. So it pays to have good friends. It pays to be nice, doesn't it? So, oh, uh, man, yeah. So, uh, you bailed me out on that hunt for sure. But I'm what you'd call a late bloomer, I think, on the, uh, you know, leaving my hometown and hunting out of the area. So, so you went on that hunt by yourself uh, because uh, – were you by yourself? No, my cousin oh. Josh oh, came okay, on that's that right. hunt. That's right. Um, you went over there twice, though, didn't you? I've been over there three times. Three times. Now. 
And was it the first or the second trip where you killed the big 180 buck that's on your wall? The second trip. Second trip. Yeah. Um, and did and you had some close stocks on the first trip? Was that oh what yeah. it was? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I almost got one in velvet. Great big. Uh, uh, Gary Wallace has pictures of it, and he said it was about a 170 class buck. Okay, yeah. And, uh, oh, I come close to getting that one. Well, well, let, let's uh, let's uh, end this with uh, uh, telling us the story of uh, uh, of the the big uh, muley you got on your wall. I, I'd love to hear the story. Um, beautiful phonogenic bull. Uh, I mean buck. Uh, I'm, I'm I got bull fever. Bull bull in the brain. And uh, tell us uh, um, without giving up any uh, unit information. Just. Uh, uh, the country you were in, the experience you had. Uh, we know it was spot and stock. Uh, how how it uh, worked out, that the shot that you made. Um, I I, uh, I love this story, and I'd love to hear it again. Well, uh, a lot of luck goes in that one, and I did have my cousin Josh with me also. Well, better lucky than good. Yeah, anytime. And he was a big part of that hunt. I'd like to give him a lot of credit for helping me with that deer too. But uh, had a real strong crosswind. This buck had bedded. So you're are you up at a glassing spot at this point? Glassing. This was an evening hunt. Okay. And I'm new to mule deer hunting. That's what I was telling you. I'm kind of a late bloomer on some of these other hunts. But and uh, you've got an elk in the freezer, right? At this point. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. I elk is what I that's priority. So that's all my eggs are in that Roosevelt elk basket. And uh, consequently, I probably missed out on some other really neat things. But but I'm uh, I'm getting into it. Like last year, I went to Idaho. Uh -huh. That's up, right. Yeah, that's you'll right. talk to Robert Borland, and yeah. uh, you'll talk Andy to Andy Ponce. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. those guys had uh, that. Yeah. They, they said that you had them rolling. Uh, well, those guys are great guys. It was great to share a camp with them. Oh, there's my hound. Somebody might be pulling in. I'll give you the quick version on this meal there, okay. but. Uh, he was a dandy. He bedded, and I had a real strong crosswind. It was, you know, late in the afternoon, okay. evening hunt. And um, I ended up getting, you know, less than 100 yards, took my shoes off. And as I got closer, I was just watching his horns. And I got 40 yards, and I thought, okay, if I, if I had to shoot, if he jumps up, I will shoot. I don't want to shoot from here, but I will. And I kept going a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and that's it. Oh, them horns jerk back my way. He stands up, and in order to see me, he, he stands up, and he takes a few steps in my direction. And I'm by that time, I'm full draw, and I'm picking a spot. and <laughs> I let the arrow fly, and, man, it was beautiful. How far of a shot was that? Actually, I shot 37 yards. Yeah, it's open mule deer country. Yeah, and... I had missed a buck the day before or two days before. Uh -huh. And also, I mean, these mule deer are a heck of a lot bigger than our little double blacktails. The you double know. the size. When I first seen one, I was like, is that an elk? Yeah. So the yardage, you know, when you're judging, you see a deer out there. I mean, yeah, he's farther than he looks. Well, I had learned that lesson on a big buck the day before. Sure. Well, and it was about the same distance, too. The other one was 36 yards. Well, I shot, and yeah, left to right looked good, but that arrow got halfway there, and it just right under him. So this buck here, I thought, doggone it, I don't want to miss low. If I'm going to miss, I'm, let's get one up there. L pull back. And right before I release, I thought, a little higher, just a little higher, right there. <laughs> Let her rip. And, man, it was awesome. I mean, 
the stars lined up, everything worked out. That arrow hit him, and he just did a almost a double backflip, buck kick, dust cloud, kicked the rocks up off the mountain. He took off and out of sight like that. And then deer erupted off that hill that I didn't even know was there. And I'm like, did that just happen? And you should have saw me running with my bare stocking feet. Ooch, ouch, 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 you know, running mm. down the ridge. And I got to get to where I can see something. And I look out there, and I just see the I mean, the horns with my naked eyes. Here he is just charging out across the flat. And I'm like, that's my buck, and he don't even look hit. And I set my bow down and grab my binoculars. And about the time I get the binoculars up, I see him slowing down. And then I see that orange shaft sticking out of his chest, shaking. And I'm like, oh, that, that looks like a good shot. Cedar, cedar arrow. Yeah. And he slows down, then he stops. And I thought, he'll, he ain't going to make it. He ain't going to the tree line. This is it. And I sat there. Watching this monarch just yeah, – I watched the last bit of him right there. He put his head between his front legs, and then he just pitched over sideways. Kaboom! Okay, well I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know because I've seen the pictures. Dan hit him square in the heart with a bare razor head with the bleeder blades, and he X'd him in the X ring right in the chalupa. <laughs> I mean, the picture uh, – I will share the picture if Dan doesn't mind. Uh, I mean, you c he couldn't have hit him better – uh, what a shot. It, like I said, I got lucky there. It worked out. The stars lined up. But, man, it was it was amazing. And I'm addicted to mule deer now. I, you know, I want to keep going. Well, know. I got a plan. We're going to get elk in the freezer, and we're going to head on over there and get it done. <laughs> Here goes these hounds. Hey, well, hey, there. Dan, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been a wonderful time uh, talking Roosevelt elk. And um, I can't wait for elk season to come. Uh, it is uh, amongst us. Right on. So we live for it. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, uh, you have a wonderful day, and uh, you know, thank you. All right. Thanks for coming over. Awesome. Well, as you heard, Dan Godfrey is an amazing elk hunter, and I can't wait to have the opportunity to hit the woods with him this September for some elk hunting. As this episode airs. I will be headed to Washington for the Western States Renaissance. It's a traditional only bow shoot held on the West Coast this year in Washington. They will have three 3D courses, several guest speakers, a lot of good friends. It's gonna be an amazing time and I will be uh, recording several awesome podcasts with some exciting new guests. Um, as you've been hearing, I've been fortunate enough to record all my podcasts in person. I'm going to try my best to do most of them in person. It's probably not going to happen for all of them, but I feel the intimate conversations in person really do shine through. Uh, I hope you're enjoying them this far. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Blueberry, check me out on my website, tradquest.com, or send me an email, tradquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. Shoot straight. Look forward to bringing you more hardcore bow hunting action.